1: Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Jim Haney.
3: And I'm Leah Wetzel.
1: Today we have two guests on the show. Ladies, would you introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Hi, Uh, Beth Ayers. I am a mom of two, I live in Billings, Montana. I am a parent partner with the Children's Clinic for the Montana Parent Partner Program. And I'm also on the board of directors for Montana's peer network. Both of my children struggle with behavioral health challenges.
1: Welcome.
0: And I'm Andy Daniel. I'm the technology coordinator for MPN. I also have lived experience, not only in my own recovery, but uh, in with my three children who have behavioral health diagnoses,
1: Welcome to both of you. And if you, the listener, didn't listen the previous week, this podcast sort of was born out of the last one, where we were talking about family supporter roles. What is that? what What does that look like? Great conversation, right, Leah. I mean, it was a really good, good conversation, right?
3: Yes, it really was. It really was.
1: Yeah. And then out of that, I kept hearing from our guests and from you, Leah, about self-stigma. And so I made a note, I wrote it down and I was like, man, we should do a whole nother podcast and just sort of focus in on that because I'm not a parent, but it is the one thing that I kept hearing from all of you that resonated with me because as a person with a diagnosis, um, I experienced self-stigma and, and, and you know, societal stigma, but in particular self-stigma. And I don't think we've ever done a podcast on this, Leah. I don't think we've ever covered this particular topic.
3: Well, it's definitely a hot one. And I just want to say it was very therapeutic for me just going through these things presently and to be able to voice them, um, in a safe space like this with two other mothers going through the same or similar situations. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just telling my, my counselor actually, um, you know, how therapeutic that really was and, and how much it it had helped me.
1: That's great. Well, look, hopefully there's some listeners out there who also related to Andy and Beth and Leah and the discussion. And so we just said, Hey, let's come back the next week and let's kind of pick up the conversation and, but, but, you know, focus on that one area, which we didn't, didn't zero in on last week, the self-stigma piece. So, I'm going to, I'm going to share my, I want to start off by, I want to share a little bit of my own experience and then Leah, I'm going to hand it to you and then you can kind of, you can take it, take it from there.
3: Sounds good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, Beth and Andy will jump in. And I said earlier, this, this is something I experience, And I think most people who get a diagnosis experience some level of this. Some, some of us experience it more than others. I specifically can remember leaving the psychiatric hospital, and I, I felt like I had this billboard above my head, you know, psychiatric patients, psychiatric patients, psychiatric, you know, like, I felt so odd in society, outside, you know, outside the hospital walls, you know, you walk outside, and oh my gosh, everybody knows, and somebody, I don't remember who, could have been my counselor you know when I was sharing this I said I just feel terrible I feel like everybody's looking at me they all know you know and uh you know they said no that's self-stigma that's that's your own judgment on yourself you're putting your you know you're, you're putting these sort of labels I'm this person you know I'm this way and my brain's not working right or whatever I'm not healthy and everybody knows and no one knows. <laughs> no one knows. You're just walking down the street or whatever. But man, I can remember sharing that with me. And, you know, from time to time, I would say it still pops up for me. And so that just really resonated with me because I heard it in Andy's story, I heard it in Beth's story, and I heard it in Leah's story last week. And, and I think that, you know, this is something we need to talk more about because it can be so limiting. I mean, through the years of being a peer supporter, I mean, I know people who didn't go to treatment because of self-stigma, who won't take medication because of self-stigma, who won't come forward and talk about what they're experiencing. And people abuse substances, they abuse themselves, they abuse other people, they take their own life because of self-stigma. So I thought this was a great conversation, but again, I'm not a parent. I'm, so I wanna really hand it over to you, Leah. And I, I want you to sort of lead us into it and then we'll get Beth and Andy and hear from them and really have some good dialogue. So what are your thoughts, Leah, on this, on this self st- stigma topic?
3: Well, going off of what you just shared with your own experience, I get that within self, having, feeling like you have that X on your forehead. And then taking that into my role as a parent, I had just gotten my kids back within the last four years, uh, 2018. And I was just at a place within myself of accepting my own mental health um, situations, my own recovery, you know, being in recovery, being loud and proud about it and Thinking when my daughter, you know, she got her diagnosis, thinking that I lived in this pink cloud where Mm -hmm. everybody was accepting, where everybody Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. like us, where everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, and that wasn't the case. Having two parents, growing up with two parents that worked within the school district, I seen a side of this school district that. You know things I I really appreciated, and you know things mm-hmm. not so much. But I never would have thought I'd be faced with uh, what we what we were with my daughter. Mm. Just simple things like being judged, and me me judging, you know me judging as well, thinking that people should be more more accepting of situations like this being looked at as if my daughter's doing something wrong because she has a mental health disorder Mm -hmm. that that was really hard and that was really hard for her but you know it's been I just lost my train of thought guys (laughs) (laughs) I just went on this big trail. so
1: okay so so let's (laughs) while you get your train of thought back that's okay that's okay that happens so let's let's ask Andy and Beth, I mean, you know, so self-stigma, is that something that, that you experienced and what was that like for you? What was that experience like for you?
2: Absolutely. I think the blame and the responsibility that I took on for my child's, I guess her struggles with behavioral health and what, how that played out in school, or in her friends, or social circumstances, or just life in general, I owned a lot of that, and really told myself constantly, like, I should be able to change this, or fix this, or if I did something different, or it's my fault, I wasn't, you know, uh, strict enough, or lenient enough, or I didn't give her enough love, or... So there was a lot of that self-stigma
0: yeah so as a person in recovery i already had some of that self-stigma about myself right like uh me being on medication or um going into inpatient treatment or you know something like that and kind of always felt i wasn't quite a mom that I had envisioned that I would be before I had kids and you know, so all of those little glitches felt like failure to me anyway. And then the mental health issues, like it just, I don't know, it, it, it was a, a different level of self-blame starting with oh my gosh i passed down these horrible genetics to my kid like anybody has control over that kind of stuff but but then like beth said what did i do wrong what what could i have done differently with the kid did i not did i not put her in enough things or was she in too many things or you know that kind of stuff what what did i do to not support her well enough to be healthy? I guess.
1: Beth, as I'm listening to Andy, I'm seeing you get kind of emotional. What what, what about what Andy's saying is, is touching you?
2: I think the hardest part is that your head can tell you something. You can know. I've been in the family peer support world and the children's mental health world for 10 years now. I supported my first child. I'm now trying to support my second child you would think that the things that i've learned and the what i've learned that mental illness is a is a physical illness and it's not a choice and all those things within the children's mental health world that i know in my head going through it again with my second child my heart still doesn't believe it i still don't believe that it's not my fault that mm. i couldn't do anything Differently, that mm-hmm. I can't fix it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <sighs> Leah, <clears throat> you have any any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, there is a lot of guilt and shame and grief that I think as parents we put ourselves through. Um, I just loved what Andy said about you know, did I put her in enough you know, activities? Did I did I give her enough support? And I think Jim, you were the first person to ever really get me to look at the concept of, well, what worked for you? You know, how, what what did it take for you? Mm-hmm. And to take because it is it is their journey, it is their world.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And to be able to support them in navigating this it can be really hard because of all those feelings of self-stigma that we're holding Mm -hmm. and
0: the Mm -hmm. self-stigma colors the way we see our world right so Mm -hmm. things that so we're already emotionally raw because we're going through this really difficult time with our kids and then like in my instance i would call the school because my Mm. kid can't manage to go to school today and i know Mm -hmm. she's missed too many days of school and the person i'm talking to on the phone has this heavy sigh well okay Uh okay i have no idea if that's the way she reacted to every parent or not but as it i took that that my perception was yeah you're a terrible parent because you can't get your kid to school right and so we have that that self-stigma and it just it colors our perception of everything
3: else
1: yeah and it doesn't
3: help it doesn't help when you have um another entity coming at you like they're trying to hold you accountable for why your child's not not in school or you know, whatever the situation may be, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't help when the rest of the world is not as accepting when you're still not quite accepting of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's interesting right there, Leah, what, what you're saying, because um, so I've been in recovery since 20, what am I, 27 years, 28 years, I think July will be 28 years now. So I think society has evolved quite a bit since the mid-90s in terms of awareness that people are impacted, kids, adults, teenagers, young adults, by mental health issues. I think awareness has raised tenfold tv shows movies podcasts you know right music what i'm not sure has changed that much is our approach to it i'm not really sure we've changed that much we're still uh, we're still kind of stuck with we don't really know what to do Like, we really don't have this great response. We really don't, as I listened to the three of you from last week and now this week, it's like, you know, how after all these years do schools not know how to handle a a, a child with a diagnosis? It's not even the school's business that the child has a diagnosis because the diagnosis doesn't come from the school. It comes from outside the school. Whether you end up in a, you know, in a psychiatric hospital, or whether you know you've got some sort of uh, legal, you know, criminal in- infraction, and you get you get to see a counselor through that, or whether your family takes you in, it actually comes from the system on the outside, and then it's amazing to me that schools still don't seem to have the understanding of how to even address it, and then there's the societal piece. Um, and I just don't think we do a very good job yet. I think there's more awareness like, yeah, yeah, I get depressed, you know, right? There's a lot more of that. I have anxiety. I hear that a lot. Beth, you talked about social media. How do you think social media shapes that? Because 28 years ago, there wasn't social media. I went to the library To educate myself on mental illness. Literally, I would go to the library every week and read a book, sit there all day reading a book on, you know, mental health or recovery. How do you think social media impacts that? Because you mentioned it earlier.
2: Yeah, Jim, I think that, I mean, obviously, I think our culture is realizing that social media affects the mental health of our children. Um, I think it affects the mental health of adults as a as a as it um, with raising my kids as a parent of my children, social media was hard in the fact that it kind of reinforced those self-stigma ideas that I had about myself because I'm seeing all these kids that my children went to school with, and I'm seeing what they're doing there. You know, going to prom and they're graduating high school and they're going on to college and they're having families and children and whatever. And their world on social media does not look like what's happening at home for me. And that was really hard, especially it seemed like when my children were younger, the behavioral health disorders weren't so harmful to their relationships. And so they had a lot of a lot of friends. And so you see those friends growing up and going a certain way and your child isn't. And that just reinforces that, you know, well, if I was the parent, like so-and-so's parent, then my child would be doing those things. And it just reinforces that self-stigma.
0: And for me, that... Friends went one way, my kid went another way, kind of thing that Beth just talked about. My oldest chose to leave high school, uh November of her senior year, and to take her high set test and and get her high school equivalency that way because because the school wasn't supportive in what she needed. And I actually had we were in the counseling center, you know, my, my kid and me and and the school counselor and. She said, as a school counselor, I'm supposed to tell you to stay in school. As a mental health professional, cause she was, which is rare, as a mental health professional, this is not the right place for you. So let's figure out how to get you to the right place. But then my kid isn't going through senior weekend. My kid isn't doing graduation. You know, My kid isn't doing any of that kind of stuff. And so then I felt I felt like there was that I did something wrong that you know that I had some sort of failure because of that when you see all the graduation parties and you know things like that and so we just we take all of that on ourselves and I I do think society's getting a little bit better about that but like when I was growing up therapy wasn't a thing for kids right and so I th- I thought that I had done what I should do by starting therapy with my kids early, right? Like, as soon as I thought there was some sort of inkling of, of a mental health issue, I'm like, all right, let's go to therapy. And so I thought, well, if we just start early enough, man, everything will be fine. And then it's not, right? I mean, that still didn't fix the problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Le- Leah, I saw you Shaking your head,
3: yeah, so same with with me i I got both the kids and in therapy early. We started doing family therapy, but the difference for me was I was incarcerated for a period of time, and I was away from my kids for a period of time, and I got custody of them back, as I've said before about four years ago, and so I had. A guilt on me already any little thing that went wrong oh it's because I wasn't there oh mm. it's because I'm just now coming back and then later on fast forward to have I mean she, my daughter's been moved around so much with counselors with psychiatrists the works and then just last week we're at we're at a new counselor's office and they're surprised that i've had my daughter in therapy for oh oh you she she has huh? you know like wow. and so i face that stuff and mm-hmm. being a single parent there's guilt with that too you know statistically mm-hmm. kids have a better chance with a mom and a dad and right. you know that's not the case for for my kids it's it's a better situation for them to just be with me right now mm-hmm. and so there's definitely you know even within i was grateful we had a case manager when i got the kids back because she routed me through a 504 which is a individual education plan and the difference okay. between this one and a regular IEP yeah is this one will follow her beyond high school Um, and there's a few other differences but that has helped me hold the other entities accountable her her mental health support her case manager her Mm -hmm. the school but at the same time if we have clickiness which that happens
1: Mm
3: -hmm. uh the school's telling them well you know she hasn't been to school for this many days and Mm -hmm. then instead of the other entity stepping in and saying well wait a minute you know she's got this and this going on then I got two of them coming at me like (laughs) what are you doing wrong where I'm already Mm -hmm. you know beating myself up
1: yeah
3: and so it's hard. You wish that we lived in a society that was a lot more trauma-informed than it. You know, yes, mm-hmm. we're aware, but are we educated on on, mm-hmm. on where we go from here mm-hmm. and how to best be there and be of support of our, of our children?
0: Well, and last time, we kind of touched on the difference between physical health and, and mental health issues, right? And so just... When you talk about the number of days a kid can miss and if if my kid had a health crisis nobody would even question that my kid has missed more than 10 days of school right Right, like it just it would just be accepted as you know the kid has you know this physical thing going on but it's much harder for people to wrap their head around how mental health leads to missed days too, right? Like if my kid is anxious about going to school, I how do I, how do I get my high schooler to go to school, right? am I supposed to pick her up and, you know, carry her into this school and plop her down in there because you know, it's right. just not, it's, you can't right. do that.
1: Yeah, no, that that's an interesting point, Andy. Um, I my freshman year, I got I got really sick with mono. I missed two months of school. I missed September, October. Came back in November. I graduated just fine. Nobody ever talked to me about missed days, or I had a a, um, a tutor <clears throat> came in, and I can't remember exactly when in that. Two month period, but I had a tutor that would come in, and you know I was slowly able to do you know uh, some schoolwork. But I, I missed eight weeks at least of school, and I graduated, and nobody ever threatened my you know attendance record with holding me back or saying you're not going to be able to graduate or whatever. It's a really good point about you said if my daughter had a health a regular health issue. And maybe that's the place we need to get to is we need to view these things as these are health issues. It's just mental health. I mean, it is a health issue, right?
2: Yeah, and there's no time limit to a health crisis. You know, I don't have you know, teachers calling asking, you know, how are they doing? How's the recovery? When are they gonna be back in school? But if it's a mental health crisis, then there are those questions. Yeah. and that expectation that you know when are they going to get over it and get back to
1: school right right when are they going to get over it yeah yeah Yeah, because it's yeah. not
0: like you know i broke my arm and now i'm it's going to be at a cast for six weeks and now we're done yeah there is no we, we don't know it's forever. Looks like.
1: it's forever i mean it could be forever i mean you yeah. have a diagnosis yeah. it's serious enough you're dealing with that forever i mean you know I'm, I'm 50. I'm going to be 50 later this year. I was diagnosed when I was 21. I, I still have to work at my recovery. I still have to work and keep myself healthy, my mental health, emotional health, psychiatric health. I, I still have to work at that. It didn't stop when I was 25 or 30 or something, it didn't, it didn't just clear up and just go away but I'm way more equipped today to deal with that. Years of experience, tools in the toolbox, all that. And when I look back, like high school, you know, and, and, and I struggled and it wasn't okay to say something. And even when I said something, nobody reacted. <laughs> there was like no reaction to it. It was just as if, you know, if I said, geez, I don't know, I got these red bumps all over me. Oh, you have chicken pox, stay home a couple of days. And then Hey, you're you're good to go. Come on, back to school. You know, right? Like, mm-hmm. there was really no anything. I, yeah, I I'm, and, and Leah, I want you to talk about the five hundred four thing because this came up last time, and then you mentioned it again. It sounds to me like kind of like a recovery plan. Is that is that talk a little bit about the the five hundred four there?
3: Yes, it's very much so like a recovery plan. Um, you know, we have each entity, whatever it is that her support looks like, family. For our case, we had we had Indian education there. We had a counselor. We had the school mm-hmm. um, case manager. And you have the child navigating it. You know, you have the child saying what helps. And something what really irks me is... You know, in middle school, because my daughter's in ninth grade, in middle school last year, she asked, "Can I have a place that I can go when I'm feeling overwhelmed?" Or, you know, because our brains don't work. We know enough about Mm -hmm. uh, PTSD that our brains aren't working right when we're activated. And so this year, we we tried to bring that on into there, and it's in the 504. But if she goes in the hallway. She's being told. She's been told you don't go to school here. You need to leave. Where's your pass? These types of things. Right. Right. And the another piece <clears throat> is the teachers are supposed to be there. Well, if the, if everybody isn't on the same page, then how are they going to know how to take care of this child? My daughter is very bright, and all it took for her last year is to have a safe space to go to, somebody to talk to. And then she went right back in. And I mean, that girl caught up, I want to say she was behind the majority of her last trimester. She caught up and passed, you know, so these kids could be in a lot better situation for something simple like that was to take yeah. place, just to be able to have somewhere to go, to relax. place
1: to go. And, and it sounds like some peer support. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like you know, a place to go and some pure support. So so I'm looking at the time here. So one last question for all three of you. So let's talk about that. How do how did you or how do you handle the self-stigma? You know, like let's end this with some encouragement for our listeners who may be, you know, relating to everything that you're sharing. What's how do you how do you get through that?
2: I think just like Leah touched on at the beginning, finding a support group, finding a group of people whose lives do look similar to yours versus maybe the rest of the population to feel like you aren't alone. To, um, I know that when I'm with someone else and they're, they're struggling with their child, I don't judge them. I don't think they're a bad parent. And so as I, Give that grace and that compassion to other people I am able to give it to myself and other people are able to give it to me um, the most powerful thing that a friend ever said to me was that she said you are a good mom and I think that we just need to hear that more and tell each other that more
1: that's good that's something I could hear a family supporter saying to someone yeah.
0: Uh, For me, I mean, it, like the self stigma is sort of part of my mental health issues and part of my recovery and perfectionism and all of that stuff. And so so that's like I have to work on myself to get over that stuff. Right. So I do the therapy and everything. But seeing my kid who is now 24 uh, and in college being successful, still struggling uh, from time to time but she now has the ability to recognize when she's struggling and to like, take a semester off or something. And so seeing that she is aware of her mental health issues and what she needs to do to keep herself, um, functioning well, right. That she's been able to do that. I guess that's that alleviate some of that self stigma to see that well clearly I didn't screw up that bad she's you know in college (laughs) she's got an associate's degree she's you know she's got a job she's doing okay you know but that if she does struggle she can still she's still gonna call me right so I didn't do such a horrible job that she doesn't want to talk to me anymore so that's positive right so it's finding those little bits of of things I think that you can sort of focus on
2: mm-hmm. to alleviate some of that stigma.
1: Okay.
2: I agree, Andy. I think that a lot of times our self-stigma causes us to not see the things that we should be grateful for, the you know, relationship we do have with our children. or And I think not only with the stigma, working on that with mental illness, but also reframing what we see as important or what we see as success or reframing the words we use to talk about children that have a behavioral health challenge making those strength-based I think is really important too
1: good Leah take us home wrap us up what are your what are your how do you handle the self-stigma or you know societal stigma how do you handle that
3: well i i really like what both ladies said and i think it's really a little bit of all of that me i i lean on a lot of my indigenous teachings, spirituality and i'm taught that if i take care of myself then the rest you know is easier to work with um, I know with my own co-occurring disorder, being able to accept that was huge because then I can then I can work from there. It's mm-hmm. been the same with the kids. Being able to accept them for who they are and where they're at mm-hmm. and seeing seeing their individual gifts and seeing them individually as well. Uh, my mm-hmm. daughter, she's an amazing artist. She's learned and I you know through COVID we were all bunched up and Mm -hmm. we learned a lot about each other right Mm -hmm. so seeing her use that as a coping skill and then you know yes things haven't been the best this year in high school but she went out and she found a peer support group on her own
1: nice
3: my son he made honor roll this year Mm -hmm. he you know Both of them, again, individually have individual things going on, but he, I don't, I didn't realize how much, uh, what I'm doing with my life is affecting them. My son has the SAMHSA dimensions above his desk. He (laughs) heard me talking about it one day yeah, because I work from home and he's like, Hey mom, do you got another one of those? You know, and we'll sit there and we'll talk about it. And and I yeah. they counsel me, they peer support me, you know. <laughs> so I'm I'm sending out these little, you know, I'm giving them my good pieces and they're 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 seeing the bad too, and they're deciding, do I want that or do I not? You know, yeah. and so they're the better versions of me. And mm-hmm. I think just being able to see that and accept that and be grateful for that um, has, been, has been very helpful.
1: Great, great. Well, thank you once again. This was a really good conversation. Um, and again, to our listeners, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast on family peer support, you really should go back and listen because this is an extension of that conversation. We sort of picked it up and we're carrying it over. And I want to thank Andy and Beth. Every week Leah and I are on and doing different topics. And this is a really good, this is a really good, good topic that we've done and something we haven't done before, self-stigma. So tune in every week to Recovery Talks Podcast. And thank you very much